1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
2: with Drizzly or Instacart.
0: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavali, coming at you to keep Hardwood Knox's regular season division preview trainer rolling. This time we're moving on to the Pacific Division, as we did with the Atlantic Division. This will be broken up into two parts. Part one is is today, and we will be talking about the Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, and the Sacramento Kings. Part two will be published tomorrow, and we'll be talking about the Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. To speak with us today, I've brought in Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, not only a coworker, but also a very good friend of mine. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes. I highly recommend it. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan favali F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And speaking of Hardwood Knox, please, pretty, pretty please, continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us. On iTunes. We really appreciate seeing those five-star rating numbers go up. It warms our heart. It also warms our hearts to see all the reviews that we've been getting. We love reading them. We appreciate all the feedback. We're taking it into consideration. Thank you, everyone, for the kind kind words. Thank you, anyone who's written some not-so-kind words as well. We really do read those things, so, so keep the ratings and the reviews coming. If you have not subscribed to us, definitely do that already iTunes is the best way to really let us know that you're out there, but we can also be found wherever else your podcasts are being consumed. If you've done all those things, word of mouth, please. Shout us out on Twitter. Recommend us to a friend or someone who you know that likes basketball. We promise that they won't come to regret it should you get them to subscribe. Finally, follow Blue Wire on Twitter, at BlueWirePods. You can check out all the other great podcasts that we're publishing at Blue Wire. You can also check out all the tweets that I'm firing off on a daily basis over there. With all of that out of the way, let's get to part one of our Pacific Division preview with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes. Hey, hi, hello, what it do, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Valley coming at you this time without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Uh, sent, uh, the season preview train continues to roll on. We're going by division. We are on to the Pacific Division for this podcast. And I thought, who better to bring in than... My good friend and coworker at Bleacher Report, Grant Hughes, fantastic writer, uh, covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. You definitely need to check him out if you haven't already. I already mentioned his Twitter handle in the intro, but I'm going to enter it again because when he tweets, and it's not often, they're they're usually very clever, at GT underscore Hughes, spelled exactly as it sounds. Grant, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic, and thanks for having me back. I think we just talked Warriors last year, so I feel like this is a this is an upgrade. This is a five X upgrade because we're going to talk about five different teams in a what I think is going to be really like you know a really exciting division, which was not the case when the Warriors were on top of everything. So uh, I'm looking forward to this.
2: You know, you mentioned us talking about the Warriors, and I did team by team season previews last summer I believe or and then I did them again like leading into the off season it's just way too much of an undertaking and I just from the numbers it doesn't seem like listeners appreciate them they're like almost too niche so I think even though divisions are by and large pointless that they, they they provide a nice way of splitting things up when you want to have some macro micro macro discussions
0: yeah, I agree. I think we're going to hit on all the, hopefully, uh, all the important stuff for each of these teams and we'll kind of be forced to cut to the, to the goods, you know, more or less. So, so I'm excited. I think this is going to be a really interesting, uh, potentially really competitive division too. So even though, again, like you say, divisions really don't matter, but this is a good organizational uh, kind of approach.
2: Um, we're going to go in reverse record order because why not? That would mean that we're starting with, The Phoenix Suns, they were 19 and 63 last season. Uh, Just really quickly a note, as I mentioned in the Atlantic division preview pod, we're not going to be, you know, recapping the offseason like crazy, crazy. We did the offseason preview pod. So go check those out. We talked about all the offseason moves. We're just going to try and hit on some really important um, and pertinent bullet points here to start for the Suns offseason. Definitely, if you have a general impression, we'd love to hear it but was there also maybe an underrated move or addition that that you really liked that you thought sort of flew under the radar?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, underrated is is tricky because I think there are some moves that are sort of viewed as halfway decent that I think might be underratedly bad. Um, (laughs) I'm sure, you know, like the, so the Ricky, my note on the Ricky Rubio thing, um, and I think I've kind of vacillated on this since it happened, but it's, it's, to me, it's a significant upgrade and yet I hate it. So like I'm trying to unpack that for myself because clearly he's better than anyone they played at the position last year, not named Devin Booker when he was the primary ball handler. Um, but I just don't I, – so I don't understand why it couldn't have just been Kobe White in the draft. I don't understand why maybe you don't just roll with Tyler Johnson. It's just Rubio, I think we know what he is at this point. We saw his limitations in Utah, and I get you might may, maybe want to have an adult in the room on a team with young cornerstones. Um, but I just think he may take more off the table than he puts on for Booker and and even for Aiton. I think a space, a guy who could space, a guy who could shoot would make more sense. So for all the positives potentially he brings, I I just, you know, I I don't like it. I I imagine you don't like it. And I think it's not an uncommon opinion at this point, honestly.
2: No, he, look, he's an upgrade, like you said, but I don't like the contract there were, there were Suns fans trying to justify the price, and I guess you can. It's the going rate for a starting point guard. You have to believe that Ricky Rubio is a starting-level point guard and a really good fit beside Devin Booker. Rubio is so ball-dominant at this point. Unless he has a season like he did in 17-18 when he hit threes at a relatively okay clip in Utah, I, there's going to be some functional warts there, and you might find yourself relying on Ty Jerome more than you yeah. want to. And Yeah, I,
0: I should have mentioned him alongside Tyler Johnson. I mean, Tyler Johnson is... Probably going to be hurt and and is is a deeply flawed player, but but Jerome is another guy like he almost makes more sense on paper to me as as a Booker sidekick because he has hit threes you know in college and he's kind of combo ish or you could squint and he could be that type of guy and Booker is such a Booker is such an interesting guard that he showed such a leap in playmaking last year that and he's obviously such a dynamic scorer. You sort of couldn't go wrong with with the type of point guard you put next to him, except if it's Ricky Rubio, and then it feels kind of wrong. Like they kind of threaded the needle in a, in a negative way on that one.
2: I my pick for them would I want it to be Dario Saric, but the problem with the Suns is off season. And I when I was doing off season grades, um, a long written drawn out thing, I gave them I think a C or a C plus. It, there's something else attached to everything they do. Like there's just A caveat. It's like, oh, that's a good contract for Kelly Oubre Jr., except they miscalculated the cap and needed to go through the whole Josh Jackson stuff. And I like Dario Saric, but if you were going to – I would rather have Jarrett Culver on this team than Dario Saric and – oh, my God, why am I blanking right now – and Cam Johnson. That's just where I'm at. Maybe Cam Johnson proves us wrong. He is 6'9 and can shoot the hell out of the ball. That's always a good type of player to have. I'm, I tend to then just roll with the Aaron Baines, Ty Jerome trade. It was something that I wasn't like too into in the moment, but it does seem that Ty Jerome is going to be, if he gets playing time, could be a little frisky for this team. And then you have an enforcer down low in Aaron Baines. I thought DeAndre Ayton, Suns fans actually disagree with me on this, or at least the ones I've talked to. I thought he showed just a lot better recognition defensively over the second half of last season. I'm obviously only choppering in for a few games here and there, right. so they might know better, but to have Aaron Baines down there, also someone who's at least used to shooting threes. We'll see if Phoenix lets him, uh, can space the floor then and give you that physical presence. I like it. And if that's going to cost you uh, basically that 2020 first round pick from Milwaukee, I'm not crazy about the Bucs this year after their offseason, but they're going to, the Eastern Conference, they're going to dominate it. They'll finish no lower than second in the standings, I think. And so you're not, they're probably going to have a top five record, top seven record in the league. You're not giving up this huge value pick. And and if you think that Ty Jerome can actually make that contribution, I ended up really liking that move.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, if you subscribe to the theory that, you know, a veteran player can have a very specific type of influence on a developing talent. I think Baines is a really good guy to have around Aiton because, you know, all of the knocks on Aiton are sort of the things that Baines does well almost by necessity because Baines, in contrast, has virtually none of the physical gifts that Aiton has. So, you know, Baines is in the right spot. He reads plays well on the back line. He communicates. He communicates. He is good at, you know, not let not tipping his hand as a pick-and-roll defender, who he's committing to. He plays well in terms of his verticality. Like, all the little things, stuff that Aiton... I, I agree that he improved, but he has so far to go to be being an average interior defender. Um, I think if, if he can pick up anything from Baines, you can definitely view that as a value add, uh, even though you're adding a veteran to their long-term outlook. And really, you know, we've, we've kind of... Been more in the weeds, I guess, already right off the bat. But I mean, this team is Booker and Ayton and and almost everyone else doesn't matter. I mean, you can make cases for Bridges. You can say Ubre is is a guy that if he plays well on this contract, could be a long term fit. But it's just really those two guys. And the question of how good can this team be? What what's the sort of identity going to be in terms of offense, defense? Uh, you know, big size of the improvement they make. It's just those two. That's it. That, that's what matters. And I think there are significant questions about both. And the way that those answers shake out will determine whether the Suns take a step forward, or you know, big one, a little one,
2: or, or, or not at all. What, there might be a few options to choose from here. Was there an off-season move you particularly didn't like or a glaring need that you still see that they failed to address? Anything along those lines?
0: Yeah, I mean nothing other than what we've kind of touched on or, or glossed over a little bit. I think the point guard spot again. Um, I don't feel like Rubio is the answer. I think the Ubre contract was reasonable. Um, I don't. I, I don't view him as a guy who's going to start on a team uh, that makes real serious noise. Um, but look, you know, if you just look at sort of what they're going to be running out there. Um, There's a decent seven-man rotation in Rubio, Booker, Bridges, Ubre, Aiton, Baines, Sarich, right? I mean, those are those are NBA players. Like that's, I think that's a step forward. So, you know, just specific moves. I'm not sure I have a lot else to say. You know, beyond what we've already covered. But if you sort of step back and look at the overall picture, um, I think the roster looks better. um, Which is, you know, if you win 19 games, it'd be hard for it to look worse, right?
2: (laughs) That is true. Mine is just the. I don't know that we can call it the Josh Jackson trade so much as the spirit of the Josh Jackson trade. I know that he has not been good, particularly on offense. But what you ended up doing to me when you, when you just sort of step back is you got rid of him, Anthony Melton, and two second-round picks for Javon Carter and cap space because you end up yeah. waiving Kyle Korver. And that's just, to me, a gross mismanagement of cap. And if we're looking at, if we want to be pro Phoenix Suns offseason here, which I think it's... I think it's fair to be optimistic about their offseason because, hey, you paid Ricky Rubio, but what free agents were really going to go to Phoenix anyway? My, uh, the one move that I think is truly indefensible is just that Josh Jackson trade and just the, the machinations that went into it behind that. I know you weren't going to get anything for him, but you ended up dumping, you know, three kind of sort of whatever assets. If you if you want to view Josh Jackson as a net negative, that's fine. Just to create some cap space. I, I just wasn't about that for a team like the Suns that doesn't look like they're going to contend next season even for no. a playoff spot let alone a championship it's, you know I think
0: that's right and I think though you know so much of this it depends on what the lens you have to view their moves through which is to say that you know the Suns are among the most notoriously mismanaged teams in the league over the last however many years uh, post Steve Nash essentially um and so you know, if this were a different organization, you'd say, well, gosh, I mean, Josh Jackson must have been that much of a negative where that's just a reasonable cost to just move on. And he's a sunk cost. You you blew that pick. You didn't develop him. He may not be developable. Um, but because it's the Suns, there's always this to me, and you know, the Kings kind of suffered from a lot of this too. you know, really up until last year, and they may continue to, but it's like, the benefit of the doubt just isn't there. You have to make the presumption that it was a mistake when you're talking about giving up a bunch of assets to give up a lottery pick that early in his career. So it's definitely a bad look, and it might look slightly less bad if we didn't just have all these negative impressions of the Suns' decision-making.
2: What's your biggest question for this team? It could be about the entire squad, a player, anything. I think
0: it's just it's a big-picture one, and and it's our Booker and Aiton worthy cornerstones and I mean they are the cornerstones by default which is just what happens when you're a bad team and you've got a couple of young players that that have shown a lot of signs but but by that I mean like okay these guys need to be it right because if they're not then how many years further down the line are we start going to get serious about trying to win right because if if either of them um is is just not a guy that you can build a winner around and i think there are definite questions about both of them then where are you really as a franchise um so that to me is it's it's an oversimplification but it really is the only thing that matters this year and and over the next couple
2: yeah there needs to they're they're at a point where the individual development isn't gonna fly anymore i don't even knowing that I don't think Rubio is the perfect fit for this roster. If you're the Suns, you want to see Aiton improve. You want to see Booker continue to improve. And I, I tend to be more of a Devin Booker optimist compared to the general consensus. And I think a lot of pe- more people are coming around on him. But if you don't see this team's, you know, barring a significant injury or something wild like that, if you don't see their win total it, it explode, like appreciably improve. Then you start to, you know, your point right there. That's when you really have to start asking those tough questions.
0: Yeah. And, well, and, and I mean, they're made, it's made, the issue is made more significant by the fact that they've already committed to Booker. Um, and it's hard to Im- financially, and it's hard to imagine a scenario where that, that type of extension is not coming for Ayton when he's due. Um, so it, really the urgency is real because I, I think, they they are pot stuck on these guys. I, I just think that that they're not going to move on from them, and so it's kind of, make or break is too strong of a term, and it's so early for both of them in terms of their careers. But like they just have to be it. And you know, if you're concerned about oh, is is Bridges a is he a starter on a good team? Can he overcome the he's shot under thirty percent after the break from deep? Like is he a a three and D? Like okay, that'd be cool if we got an answer to that. But but that's not that's not the the main issue. Um, I just. I wonder, though, if this organization is realistic enough to accept, you know, you're talking about a major jump in wins and certainly some of the projections, I was kind of shocked at. You know, RPM, the, the win-loss record is projected at 38. I think 538 had them somewhere around there. Like, if they don't hit those numbers, which I don't think they will, is this organization sort of sane enough to be happy with, you know, winning 28 games or 29, which is a major improvement? I mean, do you think that... What's success for them? Do you think 28 or 29 is okay, or do they have to hit those you know, big projections that are out there?
2: I would say it's a success if you're not dealing with an onslaught of midseason tanks in the West. The West is brutal. There are 12 to 13 teams that can talk themselves into going for a playoff bot from the jump. It's just how many of those are going to be there at the end, and if you get to a point where a large chunk of the season, let's say a third, is spent with you know, a handful of teams, there, maybe not trying to win. And that's the Suns still end up with, and the suns aren't one of them and they end up with 29 wins. That's, I don't know how you constitute that as success. The goal for them, I think needs to be, we need to sniff the 30 win plateau. And that's not a goal that I think you speak out loud in the locker room, but this yeah. is a team that needs to see to me, assuming good health, a 10 plus win jump to at least have those flashes of knowledge that they're headed in the right direction.
0: Yeah, and winning 10 more games than you did the year before is hard. I mean, it doesn't really happen that often. And I just I just wonder where these wins are going to come from because that, you know, if to get to the 38 or 36 that you're seeing out there, I just, you know, are they going to play Memphis every night? Is that in the schedule and I missed it? Because, you know, at least through the first half, I mean, you know, Minnesota's probably not a playoff team. New Orleans is on the bubble, Dallas maybe, Portland even. Like those teams are all better than the Suns. So, I don't know where all these wins are going to come from? So I agree that you know, other than Booker and Eaton taking next steps, if you get to if you get to the high twenties, I think it's been a it's and you get out of the bottom five on defense, um, which I don't foresee. Um, I think that's major progress for you know modestly speaking.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's like you said those those sort of clues. Can they rank top half the league in offense or even something like that? Like those those small successes could help them or at least, you know, hint at them heading it, tracking in the, the right direction. Speaking of that, will they grade out higher on the offensive end or the defensive end this season?
0: Yeah, I mean I tipped my hand. I I think they're a bottom five defense, maybe bottom three. Offensively you could talk I mean they weren't any good on offense last year either, but you could talk me into them and to to get to the win totals we're seeing, even to get to 28 29 they got to be close to league average, I think, offensively, because I do think the defense will be that bad. So um, some of these other teams in this division, this is a tougher question, but for me, I I would be stunned if the Suns' defense was anywhere near as good as its offense.
2: I'm right there with you and have have zero to add to that. I guess my one question would be, did they add enough shooting over the offseason to really help them out? Having Booker off the ball a little bit more, that defaults to to being an assist, and you have Cam Johnson, we can assume that Mikael Bridges – will shoot better for the entire year. I think rookies tend to hit a wall like he did. Maybe Dario Sarge didn't have the best shooting year, but but he can improve. Ty Jerome, uh, his shooting form is pretty good. Those are all great things. What are they going to look like in practice, though? Yeah, well, how
0: dare you forget the noted marksman Aaron Baines. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. That guy spreads the floor, Dan. You got to watch out for that. That crazy, like, one-foot-kicking-forward form, that's going to go in at a 34% clip. On like point eight attempts per game, so d- factor that in too.
2: Um, I'm putting a super soaker to your head filled with Darren Rovell juice, and yes. forcing you to pick who is going to be the breakout candidate from this team, or just someone who takes a major leap. However, you want to frame it.
0: I mean i th- I feel like Aiton is. I, let's say we can't pick Booker or Aiton because you know I don't know what that w- would even mean. Um, but but I think I could see Bridges if if Bridges could become. I don't know what what's the number need to be thirty eight percent, thirty seven percent from three, and continue to be just kind of a ball hawk and maybe get a little you know more mature defensively, because if he could do that, then you're talking about exactly the type of player that absolutely every team wants. Um, and and uh, he's not a star. I don't think anyone has ever thought he's going to be a star. He's the type of guy who needs to be on a good team. Um, but I, I I like the idea of Bridges taking a little step forward defensively. And, you know, just becoming a knockdown three-point shooter, and then you really got something as sort of a, a third banana on this team.
2: Yeah, and that's the, the the question for this. One of the questions for this team long-term is who will be their third best player. He's no. a candidate. Ubray's there, if we're looking at just next season. Dario Saric is probably a worthy option. Those are probably the three players I I guess you have to throw Ricky Rubio in there. They're, they're paying him like <laughs> like he will be. But, yeah, if Bridges, look, the signs for him is can he shoot better from three for the entire year, like you already mentioned. Uh, look, he's opposing offense's wet blanket already, but can you maybe get by with him playing minutes at the four to really unlock some nice small ball combinations? Can, can that be done for, for longer stretches next season? Those are probably just uh, all things that will just show that he's, again, tracking in the right direction, and that's he would be my pick for that too, and I don't really think that maybe you want to throw Sarge in there if you want to pick a rookie like Ty Jerome. I, just, I don't know that there are many other viable candidates on this roster aside from him yeah
1: a few of us on this show use harry's razors if you visit their website you can check out all different shave sets and face care products join the 10 million who have tried harry's claim your special offer by going to harry's.com slash blue wire why try harry's well harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors harry's makes quality durable blades at a fair price just two dollars per blade If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and a travel blade cover to keep you razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of this show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. Make sure you go to com slash blue wire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show.
2: Player most likely to be traded during the middle of the season.
0: Oh gosh, I wish they still had Trevor Ariza. I feel like... You could just oh he's a he's on a team in this division. He's definitely gonna be my pick for the Kings. <laughs> um, I, cause right every year it's Trevor Reza. Yo, shout uh, out to
2: him. He's just been the get the bag mercenary so flagrantly, and I love him for it.
0: Yeah, right? He no like and and he kind of might be washed and he kind of might have been washed for like the last couple of years, but just the idea of a Trevor Ariza type, right. especially <laughs> when it's when it's the Trevor Ariza, it's like, "Oh, you know, you know, he could fit anywhere. This is the kind of guy that uh, whatever playoff team X could really use to for for you know, to play some switching defense in the playoffs." Um, it's too bad he's not there. I don't know, man, this is a tough question. I think, you know, It's possible that, let's say, you know, Saric really just solidifies himself as the guy who closes games at the four, Bridges makes the leap we expect. And now you're looking at Oubre on a relatively short contract, and you could see another team thinking, you know, maybe we could, maybe he fits there and the Suns could get value for that. Um, Other than that, I don't know. Like Frank Kaminsky is. On this roster, um, which is incredible, that's a
2: great take. <laughs> Frank Kaminsky <laughs> is on this roster. I, sh- I should stop there. He's on a roster,
0: which happens to be this roster. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a, a clear trade candidate. I have to, I have to kind of do some contortions to make Ubre a possibility um, because really they've got you know those seven guys I mentioned, a couple young guys. There's not like an obvious vet that I'm seeing that a, a bad team like the Suns probably will be will look to unload for you know future assets.
2: Maybe they'll go after Trevor Rizzo and the Kings are putting him on the trade block. Bring him back. My pick would be, and this is I, I present this with the disclaimer, I don't know that the Suns would be particularly active, just they've had a high level of turnover and there aren't many guys that you just look at and say, Oh, they'll they'll move them. Tyler Johnson's expiring contract, if there was a team that was looking to unload another contract, or if it's, you know, let's look at a team like Toronto, and let's say they're not as good as they expect without Kawhi Leonard, and that's when they start looking to tear it down. I could see the Suns being one of the teams that tries to get in the salary-matching race for, I guess not a Kyle Lowry at this point, because you have Ricky Rubio, or Kyle Lowry would be the perfect point guard for Devin Booker to play alongside. But what if Mark Gasol, they just want to pair him with DeAndre Ayton, or they think that... That's somehow a pairing that works. Those are just two examples. Maybe there's another large veteran contract that becomes available. Or what if Bradley Beal becomes available? The Suns are trying to talk themselves into getting a second star. You put Tyler Johnson and some of the other stuff that they have, their prospects, future picks together, and they can can give Washington some of the more interesting packages, assuming Boston hasn't gone balls to the wall for him or the same thing with the New Orleans Pelicans. And that's just why I think if they do something, it might end up being – huge and so i'll probably be wrong but tyler johnson is just my pick for this team especially because now they have all these other guards with rubio and ty jerome uh, so it's are you actually going to want to have uh, tyler johnson play huge minutes does he factor into your rotation even in a a semi sizable sense
0: yeah i don't know It's, it's tough i think Johnson's a good guy just because of the contract status. Um, I I I just wonder. Again, this goes back to the management issue. Like, I don't know if they're going to view themselves in a realistic, sane way when it comes time to start talking about trading guys. So, really, anybody's up for grabs. Maybe they'll just trade. Maybe they'll trade Booker and Aiden for uh, to get Kobe White back, and they'll realize they missed on him. I don't know.
2: <laughs> this is actually one of my favorite categories because i It's like a little offbeat, kind of. But who's the strongest year-end award? Candidate on this roster.
0: Okay. You got to do more contortions for this one. But let's say the Suns win. So, again, RPM had them at like 38, 538, had them at about 36 wins. Let's say they exceed that somehow. I don't know how Booker averages 33 a game, Ayton becomes a borderline all star. Um, and say they win like 44 games. And for whatever reason, the West just allows a 44 win team into the playoffs, which doesn't happen. I think you're talking about Monty Williams as coach of the year, um, potentially, if those things all happen. Now, we've run through like four extremely unlikely things, but otherwise, you're asking me to find someone who's going to win MVP or, or DPOY or something. I just don't see anybody on this roster that's that's going to threaten any of those awards. So so I got to twist around a little bit, but I, I think that's my best guess.
2: I want my pick to be Chai Jerome for Rookie of the Year, but Rubio being there, and even Tyler Johnson <laughs> as well changes that. I'm going with Mikhail Bridges and most improved player. Okay, if, if he just gets enough reps, you know, maybe they end up trading Kelly Uber Jr. or something. Maybe Dario Sarge isn't as good as expected. If he maybe gets just a little bit more offensive reps or, or shoots the lights out from three and, and really continues his defensive trajectory, perhaps he enters that conversation. It seems unlikely that this team will have a, a real candidate for a year-end award, but he would seem... Most likely, perhaps six man of the year might be a safer one and you could go that route, but I'm not entirely sure looking at this roster, who will be the reserve with the most minutes. Is it Cam Johnson? Is Cam Johnson going to start by the end of the year? Uh, Is Mikael Bridges going to start? Is Kelly Oubre going to come off the bench? I'm just not sure who their de facto main event reserve is going to be. No, I, well,
0: you shouldn't because it's a terrible team, and they probably don't know that yet themselves. So I think you're, you're, uh, you're, you're safe there.
2: What's a lineup from this team you're dying to see on the floor? Bonus points if it's off the wall. Oh, man, I can't get off
0: the wall. I keep looking at this depth chart, and it's just – so the best I can do is, uh, first of all, I'm, take, I'm taking Rubio off the floor. So Booker's going to be your primary ball handler. And then I think I just go big. And I'd like to see Bridges, Bridges to Ubre three, Saric four, eight and five, because then you've got four guys that theoretically can threaten from the outside. You're really big, and I think just as a league-wide trend, I think size is kind of coming back into vogue now. Um, shout out to the Sixers, um, and really, those—that's probably your five best players. Um, even though you're not, you're you're short a traditional point guard, um, but that's about as well as I can do, unless you want to just go go crazy with like let's have Jerome play with Booker and let's see if Kaminsky can play the five and stretch the floor. I, I, I just can't get there.
2: Wait, so your lineup is Booker?
0: Yep. Bridges at the two. Ubre at small forward. Saric playing the four and then Aiton at the five.
2: It's funny that we've talked so much about how, and even leading up to this moment, just for the past two years basically, how badly Devin Booker needs a point guard. And then both of our lineups now are going to have Booker as the point guard, because I have Booker as well. And I want to see, I went in the same vein as you, but a little smaller Devin Booker running the point uh, have these guys could be interchangeable to two, three, four, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges and Kelly bridge jr. With eight and at the five, Devin Booker is the shortest player in that lineup at six, six. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's a ton of defensive talent there.
1: Mikhail <laughs> bridges is
2: good. Kelly bridge jr. Can be okay on some nights. DeAndre Ayton can be okay on some nights. I don't really know what to expect from Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson defensively at the NBA level right now, but I do feel like the offense of this lineup could hum. And if you really didn't give two, two, two shits about defense, I'm not saying Kelly Oubre Jr. is the difference between a, an okay defense and a terrible one, but you could pull him and put Dario Saric in there just to get a little bit more spacing and without really losing any ball handling.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I, again, it. I think the fact that we both had Booker at the one um just speaks to sort of how underwhelming the Rubio signing really is if if he's not even part of like an interesting lineup that you're trying to come up with.
2: Where do you think the Suns will place in the Western Conference this year?
0: I mean to me the only question is will they be better than Memphis? Um and I think the answer is probably yes cuz I think the Thund- well the Thunder are a wild card cuz we don't know what they're going to look like uh in terms of Chris Paul and and whatever else they do in their ongoing teardown um if he's tradable. But you cannot convince me that they're going to be better than the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Wolves, the Kings, you know, on up towards the playoff team. So I think they're second to last. That's my best guess. Um, if Memphis gets real frisky and like John Morant is ready and Jackson takes a step forward and Brandon Clark is, you know, Draymond Green 2.0 with more athleticism, um, I could see Memphis finishing ahead of them. But I-, I like them to finish second to last.
2: I'm going 13th. I sound like I'm being crazy optimistic when I'm not. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, There's no no team in the West that you can say they're definitively better than. At the same time, uh, you already talked about the Grizzlies, and I feel like there's another team, whether it's the Thunder, whether it's the Timberwolves. I am incredibly low relative to others on the Dallas Mavericks. I could see things going wrong there this summer. Something's going to happen somewhere, and I just feel like they're going to be better than two teams in the Western Conference. Call me Mr. Optimistic, Uh, but I think they're going to finish 13th in the West.
0: Do we just skip over your bold take and and just marvel at at the the audacity of picking them 13th by you? That's amazing.
2: Yeah, what is your boldish prediction for the Phoenix Suns?
0: Oh, God. I mean, I I just—how do you make a bold prediction about this team? I guess—so if it's going to be bold, it has to be less likely to occur— uh, You know, it's under 50% odds. Um, I said that's ish, how
2: so I'll let you go to 51% odds of it happening. I feel like that's fair.
0: Boldish is Booker's an all-star um, because I think it's kind of impossible to make the all-star team as a guard in the West still. Um, but I think there's a scenario where he really does average 30 a game and the Suns are respectable and maybe you have... You know, an injury or two. Um, I think it's highly unlikely, but I think there's a possibility that we could see that. Um, and I think that'd be a huge step for the organization and for him. Um, but again, uh, that it feels pretty bold to me.
2: My boldest prediction is Ty Jerome makes first team all rookie.
0: Wow. You're crushing me
2: with your boldness. He, on this team. I really, I kind of want to hedge a little bit and say the Suns are going to have a first team all rookie to allow Cam Jan- Johnson in there because I don't know what jerome's playing time is going to look like you know how much is monty williams invested in not only rubio but javon carter and elia cobo do they want to have tyler johnson run some point Do you still want to have uh lineups where it's just booker running point in which case we can assume that ty jerome won't be on the floor at the same time as him even though he doesn't have you know he's not just this this undersized point guard i just don't know i think that him having the ball in his hands at least somewhat fair amount is important to his success, but I I think he's going to end up, he looks like someone who has a great feel for the offensive end, just from what I've seen of him. And if they give him exposure, I think he's going to end up being, I already talked about getting him as one of their offseason moves. I think he's going to end up being, you know, quote unquote, their, their summer jewel.
0: I like it. I like your boldness. I'm going to have to ratchet up my boldness game um, going forward for the rest of this division. I
2: just, you know, I thought them finishing 13th was too bold.
0: (laughs) You got to pump the brakes a little bit. I like it. That brings um, us
2: to the fourth place, Los Angeles Lakers, 37 to 45 last year. It's probably, I would say it's reasonable to expect that they won't finish fourth next year. But th- this is a quick aside. Can you guarantee they will be better than the Kings, Clippers, and Warriors? Can you guarantee they'll be better than at least one of them? Oh no! I, absolutely not. I think the and that's it's basically likely, just saying you respect the Kings. I think is really what yeah, is. I, for sure. I, res-
0: I think the Kings the Kings are an interesting team. I, I have a lot to we'll have a lot to say about them. But I mean the the sort of combustion potential for the Lakers for so many reasons is just there, and so you have to price whatever your projections are. You have to price in this like catastrophic downside that just really no other. You know, everybody's susceptible to like a major injury to a key player, but, but the Lakers have like several other ways for this to just go sideways irretrievably. So no, I can't guarantee that at all. I mean, I, I'm sure, I I assume you feel the same for similar reasons.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And it's just, it, they, they could end up being great, but they, they do seem like they might be highly combustible and they might have the highest floor to ceiling gap in, in the Western conference.
0: Oh, I agree. I think, yeah, I, when I was just, you know, as an exercise, it's not necessarily part of this, but trying to say, okay, if everything goes right, what do I think their win total might be? If everything goes wrong, you know, short of LeBron re-injures his groin opening night and misses, you know, two months or whatever, or, or more than that. Like that's a, it's a really wide spectrum. And it's just, I guess we could just kind of get into it. If you want to call these big questions, it's like the, the coaching situation is fraught. I mean, does Frank Vogel matter at all to this team? Does it matter that the person coaching is Frank Vogel? By which I mean, you know, uh, with LeBron James on the team, it has always been impossible to determine a coach's uh, influence, uh, what he wants to happen schematically uh, how he holds a locker room together, because LeBron really just sort of overtakes all of those elements himself. Um, the 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 trick with Vogel, though, um, in addition to us not really being sure if he's a good coach, because he flopped in Orlando and that right. Pacers team, I think, was loaded with vets and just sort of had a lot of guys that worked well for where the league was at the time. You know, Roy Hibbert in parentheses, but basically, um, but you've got Lionel Hans and you've got Jason Kidd there. Um, and so I just, just the coaching side of this, I think is a potential powder keg. And that's before you get to, you know, all the LeBron stuff physically and where he's at with his career, all that stuff. So it's just, uh, it's just really, really, it's a minefield. Um, but it's a minefield that a potentially really talented, really good 50 some odd win team is going to try to navigate.
2: Speaking of that minefield, can you navigate it to find an addition or move from the offseason that was particularly unheralded, in your opinion?
0: I mean, unheralded is tough when it comes to the Lakers, just because, because everything they do is just, you know, covered from 17,000 different angles.
2: re-signing Lance Stevenson count as an unheralded offseason move.
0: Uh, well, yeah, again, I guess we have to spin it negatively for, I mean, Jared Dudley, I've always liked Jared Dudley. I think everybody's always liked Jared Dudley. Um, and I can actually see him finishing games potentially for them. So I, I suppose he certainly ranks behind, obviously Davis and behind Danny Green, and you know, in terms of uh, I don't know name recognition, Dwight Howard. But Dudley, someone I think who, especially with a locker room situation like we might have, um, could really play a vital role as as just a a, a voice of reason, I guess. Um, so I think he's probably my pick for that. What's what's yours?
2: I was going to pick Jared Dudley, and. I still kind of want to because you're right. He could close games at the four with Davis at the five in so far as we believe that Davis will actually at least play the five in mission critical moments. I he want to, to believe he will, but this whole, I want to be a power forward stuff is just mind bogglingly. It's just bullshit. That's the best way to put it. I don't know why I'm trying to <laughs> ask so many adjectives in there. I don't understand it. I've talked to people, uh, who know basketball better than I do, just the, the wear and tear of it, the X's and O's of the positionality. They think it's bullshit too. I don't get it. And because you also picked him, I'm going to go with Quinn Cook. Yeah. It, it just feels like they need someone that has a championship ring on this roster. No, I'm just <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he he feels like one of those later or undermentioned free agency signings that aren't necessarily – necessarily cookie cutter. You've watched him a ton with the Warriors. I feel like his off-the-dribble work can be an unflattering adventure, but he's also a legitimate shot creator that they can place at the one. But he also uh he can shoot off the catch. And so yeah. if you have someone who can shoot off the catch but also get create some stuff, uh take some pull-up jumpers for you off the dribble, uh that's you know th- that that's really good. And to get him at the price point of the contract that they that they got him at. He, I know people are really on the Alex Caruso bandwagon, but I do think there is a, a strong chance, if you want to consider LeBron a point guard, I know he's now listed in depth, depth, depth charts there, and he's always been, uh, his function has been as the primary playmaker throughout his entire career. Uh, aside from him, I think Quinn Cook's going to end up being their best point guard, and there's a chance, if if you don't consider Danny Green a guard this year, and he's more a wing, and I think he will play enough small forward to kind of move out of that, there's just a chance that he's their best guard Period. And that that's just, that's how high I am on Quinn Cook to the Lakers.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, he, Cook, Cook is a limited player. Um, but like, tell me the difference between him and say, like Daniel Gibson, who like playing with LeBron in Cleveland, basically, I don't know if he would have had a career, except that it's just a little guard that can hit spot up threes. Um, it just works. And that's really what Cook is. And he competes defensively. He'll still be targeted there. But I mean, you have Danny Green. So put Danny Green on the more dangerous guy or even Caruso probably, you know, there are other options. So I think Cook, his limitations, I think get minimized here a lot like they did with Golden State. And his opportunities will be far greater, I think, because it's not like he, he's not playing behind the best shooter to ever walk. Like he, he's a guy who's limited skills are hugely valuable here. Um, I think I think that's a good pick. I mean he may he may end up having a bigger impact, impact than Dudley, honestly.
2: Hey, he might because Anthony Davis is a power forward grant. Remember that. That's right. Anything yeah, you didn't like fun. about their offseason, whether it was an actual move, something they didn't do, something they failed to address, a glaring hole that's still standing out, etc. Yeah, etc couple things i i just
0: don't want rondo' it said pick
2: one Brandon. <laughs> off a dozen.
0: i'll do i'll do i'll do quickly i don't want rondo on on my roster sort of full stop at at this you know this stage of his career meaning like the last five years and i think that they may have in my mind they kind of made a mistake and who knows how the machinations of the trade went but I think I would have rather lost Kyle Kuzma than really anybody, including, you know, of the principals going to New Orleans. I probably would have rather had Josh Hart, would have definitely rather had Ingram, would have definitely rather had Ball. Maybe that wasn't on the table, but I'm pretty low on Kuzma relative to, you know, most people. Um, So I think I would have rather seen him go uh, than some of the pieces that they lost.
2: Yeah, that's certainly fair. Uh, Subbing subbing in him for Josh Hart feels like it would have made too much sense for the Lakers, and maybe that's why. that wasn't that wasn't on the table or didn't happen yeah Um, mine was rondo too and the big thing for me is i think you gained so much by letting him walk because i still he's not quite at the point it would be with Melo, but i still think he's at that stage where if he doesn't play enough it's a story and you don't want someone like that on the roster who shouldn't be one of your six or seven or eight most played guys It's, it's one of the problems with Signing Carmelo Anthony now is, you know, what? Do I think he could help an NBA team as just sort of this breaking case of emergency scorer off the bench? I do, but it's going to be an issue if he's not playing fifteen, twenty minutes a game at least. And I, I still think Rondo is kind of at that juncture, not as, not as much, but he's still there. And so, if you see Alex Caruso and Quinn Cook getting minutes above him, it's all of a sudden like a, a borderline scandal. And I don't think that that's a distraction this team needs because they're going to get enough distractions by having LeBron and Anthony Davis together. Uh, LeBron is of course going to go through the midseason motions where he, he's going to re- want the Lakers to make a trade probably or whatever. It just doesn't seem, I, I have no idea why Rod, Rajon Rondo's on this roster.
0: I think it's just LeBron. I think, I mean, he's respected. He's one of those guys that despite being totally unproductive forever um, and just being a sieve on defense and all the, all the Rondo stuff that we've talked about forever. I think guys, veterans just respect him. Um, I don't know if that's like Celtics residue or if he just does say the right things in the locker room he he brings something that appeals to high level guys. Um, I just I just don't know if that matters. I don't know. And and I, I I just think the negative outweigh the positives, you know, overall. And I've really felt that way for a while. You, um,
2: you speak of Celtics residue, and I'm not sure if this doesn't get talked about enough because it does seem like so much of the NBA media slash NBA Twitter has ties to the Celtics or or were fans of the Celtics growing up or are fans of the Celtics now. Has any championship team gotten more mileage out of a single <laughs> title than the 2007 Boston Celtics? I mean— jfc could we we need to stop talking it just comes up in like all these different conversations
0: yeah it's it, it, well we're getting close because i mean pierce is retired allen's retired kg's retired i think you know unless unless doc rivers brings big baby back for another go around i think uh once rondo's gone we're going to be ready to stop hearing about it
2: biggest question mark for this team
0: so we've hit some of the sort of uh you know big bullet points but i think to me so I'll just put it to you because I don't know the answer, um, is, is quote unquote vintage LeBron, by which I mean, I guess last year's productivity levels, but maybe with a little bit of giving a shit on defense, um, is any, he, and he stays healthy just that. So say, let's, let's say that's a given the Lakers get that from LeBron this year, despite the age, despite the mileage, all that stuff. It's the FU LeBron year, basically, um, is that enough to make this team a true contender just on its own? Or do we still need other things to kind of work out? Like, does does Danny Green need to be at least as good as he was? Does Kuzma need to make an open three once in a while? Does Davis, you know, or, or is it as simple as it was for like 10 years in a row, where if LeBron is LeBron, this team is a title contender, you know, without any asterisks? What do you think?
2: I I think that's a fantastic question. Mine was, I don't know what it's going to end up being. I don't think that you can rely on the latter model of just if LeBron's LeBron, he is getting yep. up there. I am terrified if I'm opposing teams of what he'll do after a, an off season of actually resting because he didn't make the playoffs and people are, are officially handing the torch off to Giannis, attend to or perhaps someone else in the league is the best player. That does intrigue me to what he can do, but you have to imagine they're going to load manage him to some degree. Anthony Davis always, for some reason, whether it's a trade demand or injury or the, the or his team is tanking. He always seems to miss some time. And so do you have the residual talent on the margins to to really stay where you need to be for the regular season? I know it's only the postseason that matter, but you the Western Conference is brutal. You don't want to have a poor first-round playoff matchup.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's it's just interesting. It'll go a long way towards telling us sort of where the league is because we've moved on from a lot of sort of the touchstones of the last half decade. But if LeBron is, you know, again, quote-unquote vintage LeBron— that's kind of like, well, that that answers that question. They're going to be in the finals, which which was how it was for forever. Um I don't know the answer. I think that's maybe one of my overall forget the division or this team, um what what kind of player is he going to be it, it, at this age? You know, with which we're getting to this is the end of it. We're getting towards the end of it, and nothing lasts forever. I just want to know if this is it, like this is his, you know, last great year or if we've already actually seen that. And and it I don't know the answer.
2: My question for them is just more micro if Anthony Davis is going to play even half of his minutes at power forward can this be the year where he turns into a regular volume three-point shooter I don't think you can get away with having two bigs on the floor that don't shoot threes when you look at some of the matchups in the Western Conference I know you talked about how the league might be gravitating more towards size but if you look at Philly you know their starting lineup there's only one guy uh, that can't shoot threes and Ben Simmons. And so yeah. I think that Andy Davis has talked about it, but is this the year where he really kind of uncorks it more often than we've seen?
0: Well, I think too, just, I mean, three, that's obviously critical, but I, just as a shot creator, because there are going to be lineups where it's, you know, LeBron obviously is one of the greatest ever to, as a shot creator, but Danny Green doesn't get his own offense. If you're playing Avery Bradley and KCP a lot, those guys don't really get their own offense. Bradley will shoot a lot of 19 footers. Um, But other than that, and whoever they play at center is going to be a totally dependent scorer too. So I think Davis being not only spacing the floor, but like doing something with that space on his own, I think is going to be a low key kind of important aspect of, of their offense this year.
2: Will the Lakers be a better offensive team or defensive team?
0: I lean offense, um, just because that's kind of been the blueprint of of LeBron's teams for a long time. Um, he sets the tone defensively, I think. And you know, Davis, Davis is a great defensive player. He is potentially he's talking about defensive player of the year, all that stuff. Danny Green has is, is made his money defensively and hitting threes, but um I just think there's there's such a you know, there's such a blueprint for LeBron Davis and shooters on this roster that you could make work in a lot of different iterations um, that it's going to be hard for them to not be a really dynamic offense. Um, even though I just talked about how shot creation might be an issue. Um, I'm just high on their offensive potential. I think defensively, maybe their average maybe a little worse. I, I just don't know how they get a lot better than that.
2: This is basic. I agree with you. Uh, nothing to add on. It's, I think it's clearly going to be offense. I don't expect them to be a very good defensive team. Uh, who is the, who's the player most likely to take a major leap on this team? It does seem like it's a matter of either or here. Oh, really?
0: I I don't know if, I don't find it to be that easy of a question. I think, so I'm super low on Kuzma, but if, if having so much more talent around him and not having to do quite as much kind of gets him out of his worst instincts and he can hit an open three, I think, I, I think I, I saw him at, He's at 31.9% last year on catch-and-shoot threes and also on threes designated wide open. Um, I think there's the potential, if he could just hit open shots, that he's going to just feast. He's going to get all the looks he wants. So I guess he's kind of my pick by default. I'm curious who your your other guy was.
2: Caruso. I thought it was just a matter of, is it Kuzma or Caruso? and I, okay. I, I would lean Kuzma as well, and and for all the reasons that you just said. And also, I do think we have to— nod towards his rookie season he was really good and he shot the three ball a lot better so he does have it in him and his shot quality should go up because if the Lakers are healthier and even if when you look at this team at full strength there's just inherently more spacing there which opens up the floor for anyone so if he's operating with the ball in his hands that's going to make his life easier as well yeah 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 Player most likely to be traded this season, and I'm going to attach another question to it. I'm not saying he would be traded because I don't think he would, but is Dwight Howard on this team at midseason?
0: Why can't you just let me say Dwight Howard? Uh- <laughs> Who's trading for Dwight Howard? Everybody. It happens every year. No, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's probably just Dwight seems so—I'm just, you know— Every year we do the same thing every year where he's reborn and he's seen the light and he's a changed man and all that stuff. So he's he's there for me for sure. I think if you wanted to look a little, you know, less obvious or you know, someone less expendable, I kind of do. You kind of feel like Avery Bradley and KCP are like a little duplicative and that there might not be enough minutes to go around for those two. And maybe another team might value a guy that can guard somebody on the ball and hit an open three. I could see that maybe one of them might be viewed as expendable, especially with Danny Green, just being like the apex version of that type of player ahead of them in the rotation.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I I would pick one of them. I almost want to say Bradley, he's cheaper, but he also, uh, KCP is the same agent as LeBron. And so I don't know how much that factors into this equation maybe both of them maybe this team is so good that they don't look to shake things up at midseason, but kind of a hallmark yeah. of the past what would you say four to six of lebron james teams have been we're gonna do something aggressive at the at the mid-season mark and they would seem like the best salary fodder and and kcp stands out because he has 8.1 million dollars you can take back a a player making you know 10 million or something in, in that deal maybe a little bit more uh that's you know that could help if the right trade becomes available. They don't necessarily have picks to attach to anything, at least not ones in the in the near future. So that's something to consider. I just don't know who it would be between them. I almost want to say it's going to be Bradley or McGee, just because I, I don't. They are cheaper, but it seems like there are less strings attached to moving them. KCP is just all of a sudden this this like Lakers mainstay.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and he's just one of those guys. You remember when he was like kind of a darling of, of NBA Twitter, where it was like, you know, who can really DLT. play? Yeah, DLT. no, I, I was there too. Um, He just kind of doesn't think the game very well, I think would be my assessment now having watched him like he's great. And Bradley's a little similar. Both are good on-ball defenders. They can both guard point guards, but like their team defense doesn't tend to be great when they're on the floor. And if you have them make a decision with the ball, it doesn't go well, but if they just catch and shoot, if you just sort of limit the things they have to do,
2: they're helpful. Um, But that's been tricky the last few years. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're gonna bet football this season, bet with my MyBookie. Did you know that you can even bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Or if you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year to do it. Join now and my boogie will double your first deposit use promo code blue wire to activate this offer again they will double your first deposit with promo code blue wire visit mybookie.ag today you play you win you get paid
0: um i guess what do you want to talk lineups now because this team has a lot of options well, uh,
2: i was first going to ask strongest year end award candidate this is kind of a oh, an interesting well, battle between two players i would think
0: yeah, I. this is how uh, forgetful I am. I'm pretty sure at some point in the last few months I made the case as in like a bold prediction for something I wrote about how Anthony Davis had a better shot at MVP just because LeBron was finally going to take a step back and he was going to enable him and facilitate and accept being kind of the second uh, option or whatever. But, you know, in cold, cold light of day, I don't know if I believe that LeBron will ever do that. The great ones really tend not to do that unless you're Tim Duncan um so or dirk i guess um so i think probably i'd say lebron as mvp is my is my most the guess i'm most comfortable with on that one what about you
2: you know part of me wants to just pick like quinn cook or kyle kuzma for Sixth man of the year stop really go out on the limb but lebron lebron for mvp would be the one I'm most comfortable with and a, a big part of it it kind of defies the fact that this is going to be his age 35 season but it's the first time he's had rest and I could see him really wanting to you know it's not that he hasn't had things to play for but he's he's kind of inoculated against a lot of criticism even though it's out there by winning that title in Cleveland and he's even said he's comfortable where he's at but maybe sort of having the best player towards torch excuse me prematurely ripped away from him or just being given out to another player the first year that he doesn't make the playoffs, I could just see him coming back and, and tearing, tearing it up.
0: Yeah. I think there's a, you know, we've, we've talked about it. I think there's a decent chance that he's just in full on, like I, it's, it's not time yet. Fellas like I got, this is still my league type of thing. There's a, there's a real chance of that. And if that happens and the Lakers win 57 games, I mean, I don't know how you don't give it to him. I don't know what else is going to be out there to, to supersede that narrative
2: lineup you're dying to see from
0: them. Yeah, so I just want uh, – I want as much – are you ready for this? This is going to be groundbreaking. I want as much talent and shooting on the floor as I can get. Whoa, um, whoa I feel like slow that's, down,
1: a, that's a good recipe
0: for success. So, so we've already talked – I'm glad you talked up, Quinn Cook. I'm with you. I want Cook at the one, Danny Green obviously at the two, LeBron, Dudley, and Davis. Because with that group, in theory, if Davis stretches out like we sort of alluded to, you've got five guys that you have to guard beyond the arc. Maybe LeBron is the least dangerous guy um, from three there, and he's going to have the ball. So I I just love the full four-out look um, with LeBron making decisions, and I think that's probably the best way to get there for me.
2: Mine's close. I have KCP, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, LeBron, and Anthony Davis at the five. Mm,
0: Yeah. That, like there's some perimeter defense there.
2: Yeah, that's the other thing is I believe uh well Avery Bradley would be the shortest player there. He's actually I always forget that he's he actually is quite small. He's 6-2. Yeah. But he kind of defends like he's a little taller, but you have some size there between Green, LeBron and and KCP, uh regular t- just two regular size wings plus LeBron and a guy named Avery Bradley who could defend up. I think that w- yeah. would be interesting and we'll see if they get to it. I I really that's probably a big question for me is will Anthony Davis be truly closing games at center and i I, it's probably yes which is why i didn't include it as a question but interesting nonetheless uh where will they finish in the western conference
0: i mean anywhere right we who knows Uh, i think i i think my best get and i've gone back and forth on this because it could be it could be one it could be 12 um i kind of feel best with them fifth um and that has a lot to do with my faith in Utah, obviously the Clippers who we're going to spend some time on Denver. And I don't know who the other team is going to be in the top four, but you could talk me into Houston or the Warriors or, you know, I don't know, Portland just somehow does it again, even though it seems unlikely, but I like them at five. Um, and, and I have almost no confidence in that.
2: It's, I I think that's a good pick. I'm going to say that they're going to finish third and Part of the reason I'm going to go there is that we've we've talked on LeBron' stuff to death. I also think with him and Anthony Davis of all the superstars he's played with, this one seems like it will be the most seamless fit and maybe Kevin Love would have won that title if Kyrie Irving wasn't there too. I think that's yeah. kind of convoluted th- th- that fit, but it's just LeBron and Davis now, and it just seems so organic when you look at Kevin Love's not really a rim runner, and so you can get uh, that from Davis and also. He can, he can at least spot up. So in theory, you can run a lot of the, the same stuff. But more so, you look ahead of them last season. Uh, they finished 10th in the West. I think they are better uh, noticeably than all the teams that were behind. The Minnesota, Memphis, New Orleans, Dallas, and Phoenix. Yeah. I do think New Orleans will be frixzy. In front of them, Sacramento, I wouldn't guarantee they're better than Sacramento, but I I would lean toward yes. The Clippers, no. The Spurs, maybe Now is where things start to get interesting. We have questions about what the Thunder are going to do, because if they don't get rid of Chris Paul and Gallo stays healthy and Shea Gilgis-Alexander stays the course and you get playing time for Robertson, that team could actually be good, but they could also tear it down. I am not as high on the Jazz as many people. There's just something that doesn't sit right about them. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's offensively either. I think it might be they might have some trouble unlocking super versatile defensive combinations. If you can put Royce O'Neal or, or George Yang at the four and it all pans out, then maybe that's a non-issue. But I do think losing Crowder ends up being a, a bigger deal than it seems on the surface right now. Houston, the Westbrook Harden fit is imperfect. If bad, uh, Portland, right. I don't, I don't know what, I always count out Portland only for them to spit in my face. So I don't want to count them out, but their roster just looks weird, man. Yeah. It's just uh, Denver. I I think they're going to be really good. The team I'm least worried about, that's in front of the Lakers in this section, but I'm just wondering, are they going to kind of you know try and get Michael Porter Jr. some reps, get Jeremy Grant to fit in and, and find his sweet spot? Are they going to give Juan Hernan Gomez a chance to to do some stuff in, in what would be a, a contract year, and so they kind of take their foot off the gas in the regular season a bit? And then the Warriors, naturally, you lose Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson's injured for. Probably more than half the season. What does D'Angelo Russell's fit look like? We'll get to that. There are so many teams with questions that were in front of the Lakers last year. When you look at the Thunder, the Jazz to me, but maybe not the consensus. So let's say the Thunder, the Rockets, the Blazers, and the Warriors. It just feels like some things are going to break right to where the Lakers, to to me, will finish no lower than fourth if they're staying healthy. and So I'm going to just go a, a notch above that and say three.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I do think... I mean, this is going to color, I think, everything we talk about in this, but this is a sort of a regular season preview. And so that's where I think maybe I am I differ from you in that I think the Jazz are just wired to win a bunch of regular season games and then the issues that you mentioned manifest in the playoffs where, oh, yeah, we can't just drop Rudy Gobert every time um, and teams figure that stuff out. Um, so I think like if we're talking you know, title odds in the West. I haven't looked these up officially since, you know, since whenever they came out, but like the Lakers are way higher there than I would put them in terms of, of standings for the regular season. If that makes sense, just cause I think, I think you get them in a playoff series and then that top end talent matters more. Whereas, you know, there's just going to be some weird stuff that happens during the year that that's why I got them down at five. But, but I think, I think again, they could finish first. Um, so three from you is, is totally reasonable.
2: That's a, that's a good way to, to put it. I think that really hits it, is with the Jazz specifically. And it's kind of why I didn't include them in that final tally. Uh, everyone else, though, I have big regular season questions for. Oh, yeah. Bold, bold or boldish prediction for the Lakers from Mr. Grant Hughes? Uh,
0: Vogel does not finish the season as head coach. Oh, um, wow,
2: well, Jason Kidd.
0: <laughs> is that really bold? <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's see. Uh, no, because I was going to say, well, Jason Kidd will be the coach, but obviously that's what would happen um yeah that's the best i can do um no, and it's, bold. it's his
2: first year it's bold it's,
0: it's kind bold. of bold it's kind of bold but it's also like when he does get fired because rich paul is tired of him uh it's you'll be like yeah that's about right so i don't know if that counts as bold but it it's you don't. Know, it's kind of rare to fire a coach uh you know partway through his first season but can't you just see that happening
2: oh 100 percent. my bold prediction for them kyle kuzma gets traded
0: oh I like it. Uh, You're really big. You're really just, it's just because Jared Dudley is undeniable and you have to play him starters minutes. That's why, right?
2: Exactly. But it's also just, I don't see the fit being so clean. If Anthony Davis is dead set on playing the four, because Kuzma's not a three. And what if you go with lineups where Davis is at the four? So you're going to have a five and then you're playing LeBron, but you also have an actual point guard. Maybe it's Rondo or Caruso, whoever on the floor, you all of a sudden just can't play Kuzma. I know he can play big, but you don't want Kuzma defending twos. That's just not something that could happen. And this is just a cycle. It's, you know, LeBron loves Kuzma in September, but the Lakers <laughs> are be looking to trade him by December. And, you know, I'm, ma- I'm, I'm not taking Le- – I'm not making LeBron as the GM jokes because, if anything, Anthony Davis is responsible for both Dwight Howard and DeMarcus Cousins being on the roster.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, maybe that's going to tear this team apart as the power struggle over which player is the real GM.
2: It just and I don't know which salary they pair him with, but I do feel like Kyle Kuzma plus filler. If Kuzma's having a decent season or teams are still kind of high on him, that that gets you something. I don't know. Can you what. turn
0: him into? Can you turn him into Andre Iguodala if you throw some some extra salary there? I mean, it I seems wouldn't like give a- him
2: up for Iguodala, but I think you could if you include salary. The issue there is, are is Memphis really going to just hold Iguodala hostage? Which is their right, by the way. It's the Warriors' oh, fault that Iggy's in yeah. Memphis, not the Grizzlies. Uh, can they hold? because you have to wait for uh, most of the Lakers salary filler to kind of become trade eligible. And can you hold out until December?
0: So you're telling, we can move on in a second, but you're telling me that. So let's say the Lakers do profile as like, we get a few months into the season or before the deadline, obviously. And they profile as like, okay, this team is a title contender. You know what they need and you know, obviously, describe Andre Iguodala. You wouldn't trade Kuzma and salary filler to get Iguodala. Maybe I don't know what kind of draft assets they have, but Iguodala is really just a guy that you need for like three weeks in June, um, and and that's all he's for. But I think he can still do that. I think I would make that move. I maybe just I'm too low on Kuzma, which has probably been apparent through yeah, most of it.
2: Kuzma is going to give you more than sixteen games a year.
0: Right, right, right.
2: And I know but you 16- really
0: need those sixteen games.
2: Yeah. Um, what about something like uh, it would involve them probably trading uh, both KCP and Avery Bradley? But like, what if you just put them together with Kuzma? Do you need another salary there? Like, maybe Gallinari if he's in the trade block. Yeah, think he'd be yeah. interesting for this team. Uh, the the problem with them, I don't know that they could think. That big just because their their main salary filling options are so small and for, yeah. it's fun to put these through on the trade machine but three for ones and four for ones don't normally happen midseason no I
0: mean also we forgot to mention Trevor Ariza as a trade candidate so he's probably gonna end up on that roster
2: yeah that's that's true as well <laughs> hi this is Denver Valley again thank you for purchasing this edition of Hardwood Knocks on tape you may continue to side two. Tomorrow, for the second part of our Pacific Division preview with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, because that's when it drops. Until next time, I leave everybody with a shout-out to the one, the only, Kyle Anderson.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.